almost as if no matter what, whether it's uh, sex, consensual sex, uh, celibacy, chastity, or rape, men always think that their penis or lack thereof is a character builder for women. Hello, everyone. This is Alex. And this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer over on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Today we're discussing the first half of sci-fi's fantasy series, The Magicians. Based on the popular new adult fantasy book trilogy... This series follows the exploits of our protagonist after he is granted admission into Breakbills University for magical pedagogy, an exclusive and secret university for magicians. Often referenced as an aged-up Harry Potter for adults, The Magicians gives us magic, mystery, and friendship. So what do we think made this series so captivating? Stay tuned. All right, everyone, here are some details about the series. The Magicians is classified simply as a fantasy. It was created by Sarah Gamble, John McNamara, and it was based on uh, The Magicians, The Magician King, and The Magician's Land, which was a novel trilogy by Lef- Lev Grossman. The Magicians was released from December 16, 2015 through April 1st, 2020 on the Sci-Fi Network for a total of five seasons and 65 episodes. The series stars Jason Ralph as Quentin Coldwater. He's our protagonist and a graduate student who has been recently accepted into break bills. Stella Maeve as Julia Wicker, Quentin's best friend who is denied entry from break bills and is recruited to become a hedge witch. Olivia Taylor Dooley as Alice Quinn, a break bills student and a very gifted witch from a respectable line of witches. Hale Appleman as Elliot Vaughn. Um, he is a break bills student, a close friend of Quentin's, Margot's best friend and a borderline alcoholic. Arjun Gupta as William Adiodi, AKA Penny. He's a break bill student, Quentin's roommate, a telepath, and a traveler. Summer Bichelle as Margot Hansen. Uh, this character was called Janet in the novels, but we had too many J-name characters in the show, so they changed her name. She is a break bill student and Elliot's best friend. Rick Worthy as Henry Fogg, the dean of break bills. Jay Taylor as Katie Orloff Diaz, a Breakbill student who eventually leaves the school and joins Richard. She is a friend of Julia's. Our supporting cast includes David Call as Pete, one of Julia's recruiters into the Hedgewitch world, and Katie's lieutenant in season four. Esme Bianco as Jane Catwin, aka Eliza, 
a fillery and further character who guides Quentin into the world of real magic. Fillery and further is a book that all of our uh, characters read that turns out to be a real world. And Anne Duke, no, that can't be how it's spelled. <laughs> Anne Dudek, uh, Anne Dudek as Pearl Sunderland, a teacher at Breakbills uh, and Penny's mentor. And last but not least, Casey Rawl as Marina Andrieski. She is a hedge witch, a former Breakbills student who was expelled before graduation, and she has used Julia to regain her memories. So fun fact about Breakbills, if you do not gain admission or you are expelled for any reason, they wipe your memory that the place ever existed. Let's jump in. Season one, 18 episodes. Let's get it. Let's get it. Okay, so Break Bill, not Break Bill, <laughs> The Magicians is um, done by uh, Sarah Gamble and John McNamara. Sarah Gamble of You uh, fame. Uh, but this was, I think, like her for like one of her or like one of her earlier like joints, like, you know, doing it herself based on, like M said, the book series. Question Have you read the books? I certainly have not. Amen. Neither have I. Great. Glad. Glad that. <laughs> because. So don't ask me. Don't tell me anything about these books on on Twitter, y'all. Like I I don't care. I'm just evaluating the show. So I do know this about the books. The books. The characters are high school age. And again, I haven't read the books, but I think they did a good job aging the characters up. I think that a lot of times they put like people who are on the cusp of 18 in situations which are deeply unbelievable. <laughs> and by making right. them each age, you still keep that, that leftover youth of adolescence, but with that independence of adulthood to make it believable. We're already suspending belief because this is taking place in a very magical world. We, we shouldn't have to suspend it further by dealing with a bunch of high school kids. Um, I do think that the changes that were made were changes for the better. I'm just going to say that. Same. And listen, like there, when we, when we're introduced to uh, these people, they're in grad school, like, and Break Bills is a grad program. So they're even older. It's not like they're like college is like, you're like nine, it's, it's 18 to 22. 20 to start. Hmm. They're like, yeah, they're like 21 or 22 to start, to, to start off. Right. So they're, and that's grad school um, and masters and stuff. So that's like, and that's, I feel like 22 is perfect. It's a perfect age. You're totally doing crazy, still banana nuts, dumb shit when you're 22, but you're technically an adult. <laughs> technically the government says you are at least. And so you're just out here, you know, hoping that it all works out, honestly. <laughs> Right, right. Um, and, you know, again, you're still really young, right? Um, your frontal lobe isn't fully developed, but you're out here. You've been out here for a moment. You think you know everything with your little degree. They all have their degrees at this point. <laughs> your, little, your, your little piece of paper and your, and your lost virginity thinking that, like, you know the world. You don't know the world. You're, that's false. I don't think a bachelor's degree is insignificant if that was lost on anybody. <laughs> But yeah, here we are. We have Quentin and Julia, which before we even get started, I want to say sh shout out to the way Quentin and Julia are 
are written, they're best friends, they're really good friends, their relationship goes through a series of highs and lows, especially when Quentin is accepted into break bills and Julia isn't. Um, but for some reason, she's able to retain her memory that the place exists and that she didn't get in. Um, I think the way the characters are written is a way that a lot of writers should get more into. Neither of these characters is gay, um, but there's no weird, like, nice guy or nice girl. I friend-zoned myself in the hopes of something more weird, awkward tension, which is somehow inevitable when characters are this young. Uh, right. Well, Quentin's queer. Yeah, Quentin is queer. That's that's true. But he is attracted to women. Right. He's, like, bisexual queer is probably, like, the, you know, we'll use a blanket term. Right. I love how these characters are written. It's a very, very mature depiction of a relationship between uh, a man and a woman who are, uh, for the most part, same-sex attracted. I mean, Quentin does have relationships, like sexual relationships with uh, men and women on the show, but that's just a line that he and Julia just don't cross, and it's anyone holding themselves back. Right. I get what you're saying. They don't give them, they don't like do the Joe, like they don't get the Joan and William treat treatment, like, <laughs> which was like horrible and horrifying to watch. Right. Like they are, they're, they're, you know, beginning as friends and they end like as friends and they are genuinely just friends. And there's no like weird sexual attraction that happens between them or like weird sexual attraction that like the, the show is trying to force with them. Exactly. And shout out to the magicians, too, for showing us queer people. I mean, um, a lot of other shows that are set in high school or even middle school will be like, this is too much. The kids just can't possibly understand. But don't tell me there are no queer people in grad school in 2015. We're not buying it. <laughs> right. Like, and I mean, college in general, it's like, I mean, and I mean, this is, I think, why people straight like don't try to do college shows as often because college shows you you have to include people of color and queer people like you just have to because that's where the college is where you first encounter and when I say people I'm like I'm gonna be real white people so like I think white like particularly like white writers like the first time they encounter queer people and people of color like in their sort of wholeness is in college and I don't think they know how to like and they just try to block it out. They don't want to deal with it, honestly. That's why I think there are not a lot of college shows. Right, right. And I mean, the writer's room is really depressing because there'll be a lot of queer white men in these rooms and they still don't write queer characters or they write them like Jack McPhee from Dawson's Creek. Ugh. Right, or they don't sort of, they don't know how to make those characters lived in even though they themselves are are gay or, or queer. And that's unfortunate for a lot of reasons. Um, but we... We have, so yeah, let's talk about, so this pilot. So we're introduced to uh, Quentin. Quentin, right off the bat, we're, uh, I mean, it's a, and I will say like the introduction to Quentin is a very strong one because right away, like where um, we meet him in getting out of like a, a mental health facility because he's been put on like a psychiatric hold because he, tried to commit suicide so already we know that Quentin has issues <laughs> um he needs help and so he's leaving this mental hospital and is then 
dumped straight into this party um, with his best friend, this uh, this house party um, Ju- at Julia's place. And they're, you know, hanging out and he's essentially figuring out how to, you know, get back on his feet again and get back into, you know, life. And as, you know, they're both sort of getting back into life, I think she's applying for some sort of program. He has, like, an interview at, like, the NYU grad program. They are magically steered towards break bills to take the entrance exam to go learn how to be magicians. Quentin is accepted, whereas Julia is rejected. And we uh, then meet all of our other characters in the form of the Dean, um, Elliot, Margot, and Penny, and Alice. And they will be like our core team throughout the, the series. Right. So Julia does something really smart, which apparently no one else thought to do before. So she basically leaves herself a clue to remember that this happened, that she took this entrance exam, that break bills existed, that she's not crazy, and uh, not to believe Quentin if he tries to convince her otherwise. And it works. Right, it works. And it's it's so hardcore. She, like, slashes her hand or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, Julia is no dummy. She's an Ivy Leaguer, actually. And I think this is they're supposed to be, like, in the New York area. So I'm guessing, like, she's either at Columbia or Cornell. Those are the only... Uh, Ivy League schools in that area, but who cares about the Ivy League when there's a magical university? <laughs> <laughs> right, which is what she says, essentially. Um, so, yeah, and then and then she becomes, and then Julius uh, subsequently becomes a hedge witch, which we understand hedge witches as, like, people who are just doing this on their own. They're not formally trained. They're, they're making the, they're making this, sh- they're making that shit happen by themselves, which I think is very admirable. And it's interesting. Once we sort of get into the hedge witches and the difference between the hedge witches and the the kids who are studying at break, break bills, the show ends up touching on something that they don't really explore further, which I think will be my one, I think, overarching criticism of the show in general is that the show will keep touching on these like really interesting themes of like class and education and will not engage with them at all which to me is a missed opportunity because I think that's what magic shows are about like fantasy shows are about they're about like ultimately and I think the best fantasy shows do not like hide from making these comments on class or education or or race. Um, But The Magicians does. The Magicians doesn't care about these themes that it's touching on. It's just like, you know, we're here to do fun shit, which I think is, um, like I said, yeah, it's a missed opportunity. But yeah, it was kind of reminiscent of how The Vampire Diaries touched on race via Bonnie and touched on class via Matt, but never explored those things. Right. Never, never explored them, never thought about them and never did anything with them, which um, inevitably, I think, leads you into when you're not being thoughtful in that way, inevitably leads you into like stereo, like traps and stereotypical writing. And the magicians absolutely falls into that trap as well by not engaging thoughtfully in these ideas. Yeah. 
agree agree but like alex alex just said the the pilot goes hard and the show really doesn't let up well i what i will mention though is that like um the bulk of the series is shot in vancouver but the pilot was shot in uh new orleans and honestly it shows it shows <laughs> it shows hard <laughs> one episode but if you've been in nola you you know the vibe yeah you know the vibe which to me makes like the idea of putting break bills in nola makes sense to me mm-hmm. mostly because the south is a very magical place in general i feel like um it, it feels very cringe to have a cast this white in nola <laughs> no and then that's like and then and listen that that'll be my next thing like the magicians really fails when it comes to race like it fails hard. I was gonna wait till we got like really into Penny and Margot because I think they're the most, you know, biggest representations of how this show fails. But like you said, yeah, it's it's too white to be a Nola. That's true. And I kind of like the idea of a very very cutting edge, sleek, chic, upscale little private exclusive magical university, um, New York. Like I like the vibe. It's not in New York, right? It's on a different plane or whatever. Why can't it be representative of the demographic of the city that our characters live in? I agree. That's totally fair. It's just very weird. It's very, very weird. We don't like it. But magical shows tend to have this problem, especially when they're written by white people. Um, And the books were also written by a white man. Um, I really feel a lot of times fantasy and dystopia are like, white people's wet dreams <laughs> <laughs> like y'all be really uh, imagining a whole world where there's little to no uh black and brown people and it shows um put them in situations where they have a lot of power but not a lot of authority like the bonnie bennett character or a lot of authority but not a lot of power like the, the dean. dean yeah, yeah. It's very telling. It's it's not giving what y'all think it's giving. It's not giving what y'all exactly like. And I in uh, hardcore, just like hardcore, hardcore. What you just said with regards to the dean, and that they're given a lot of authority and not a lot of power. I think that I think that's what's particularly annoying to me. <laughs> like in in fantasy and dystopian series is. Uh, and also I think that shows up as well in other just sort of normal works. This, like, you'll have like the black police chief or the black, um, principal, but they, and I think the writers really will feel like, oh, this person is in authority. Therefore, like we've, we've upended the the stereotype and I'm like, no, but if they don't do anything or like they never exercise that power, you you that doesn't count you guys mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exactly exactly and i also don't really like the implication <laughs> and i saw this both in the magicians and in harry potter oh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give it to tvd they're not as guilty of this but the implication that ma- black people are not magical beings <laughs> right and i think I think that comes from like, and this is where, you know, black writers are so important. People of color writing their own sort of fantasy series are so important because I think um, uh, white people get nervous 
because they're like, we can't literally make the Negroes magical, <laughs> like thinking they're going to do the magical Negro stereotype. But it's like, no, if your show is literally a fantasy and like everyone's magical except for black people. And then the magicians just shows up in a in a particularly infuriating way because the magicians posits that magic comes from pain, from hard lived experiences. Well, sweetheart, let me tell you, first and foremost, it's not the, these white kids are not the most powerful beings in your universe then. If Break Bills isn't filled with a bunch of Black and Native kids who had to endure the foster care system or the juvenile detention system, that is a lie, sir. <laughs> That's a lie, sis. I don't know. It's like, I like Alice and everything, but like, sweetheart, your neglect, your super wealthy upbringing with your neg neglectful parents is not the hardest shit people have ever had to endure. <laughs> No, I people swear that parental neglect is the highest form of abuse. And I'm not discounting that neglect is really messed up and will delay a child's development. I'm not even trying to play uh, oppression Olympics here. Well, we're not going to act like that's uh, top tier. That's the most messed up thing that a person will ever have to live through. There are people living with their abusers right now. Right now. It's happening. Right now. <laughs> You wish their they wish those parents would neglect them. <laughs> they, they wish their daddy would never come home. Exactly. Wish mom would never come home. Wish daddy would never come home. Wish somebody would stop drinking, drugging. They hope that whomever stops bringing their friend over to the house. Like there are people literally living in fear at home, in the scouts, at school, at church, because that's where their that's where their abuser lives. And let's not talk about the fact that it's already been scientifically proven that the trauma of slavery is literally encoded in Black people's DNA. Right. So, yeah. And so, once again, it's just, like, the show not, 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 like, really engaging with its own, like, universe. And it's all, and they're not doing it because, like, you know, white people just like it when they center themselves. <laughs> and so it's, The Magicians is really f infuriating in that way. So, like, with this idea of like, with this idea, I think we can talk about like Penny a little bit. So Penny, when he we're first introduced to Penny in the in um, the scene with Quentin taking the test, we see Penny right beside him, and then we further learn about Penny throughout the series. This show completely drops the ball on Penny. <laughs> which is unfortunate because they set up his character to be interesting. Well, they said, poor Penny. I think Penny also never like it was doomed from the beginning because they set him up to be interesting yet at once they start doing all the telltale signs of things when you don't really care about your character of color or like you have no clue what to do with them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like he immediately has a white girlfriend, you know, <laughs> like, some random white woman like they with uh he like is but he's set up to be like one of the most powerful beings but he never like does anything really like all the sort of telltale uh problematic signs Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And for me doing something like what they did to Penny kind of like getting the ball rolling and then stopping it 
um, midway is almost worse than never doing any character development at all because you had us interested now. My interest was piqued. Um, I also hate the stereotype of seeing uh, um, people of color and predominantly white shows with white partners. It's exasperating. Please stop. It is exasperating because what you're saying is that people of color should aspire to white partners and like our ideal should be white people because like if white people really love us, then like that means we are accepted and you're not really accepting us for us. That's fucked up. That's all I'm saying. Right. And it also implies uh, conversely, well, not conversely, but uh, related uh, that certain caliber of people of color will naturally gravitate to white partners. Like if you're that type of person of color, you're smart, you're very educated, you're very rich. Of course you're gonna date a white person. <laughs> yeah, like of course you naturally want white people. That is fucked up. Don't don't sell me that shit. I don't want it. <laughs> Sorry. Listen, um, a lot of people keep talking about colorblind casting, but this writing is clearly not colorblind. That it be- really isn't. <laughs> I know we're dragging the magicians a lot. I like to get the bad stuff out of the way first because um, from a storytelling standpoint, the show is actually quite good. It is. It's quite good. So first season, uh, Quentin is in break bills. And of course, he's embroiled in a mystery immediately. There's an entity called the Beast. Mm-hmm. Um, the the woman that he meets that he, you know, piques his interest initially, uh, Alice, her brother was consumed by, by magic roughly five years ago. They, they learned that Penny was assigned to the wrong discipline um, because he is a traveler. Um, he's not just a telepath. He can actually travel in between different worlds and different planes, which is, again, huge amount of power, very little authority. Do you know what you, ask, you guys could have done with a character like this if you really wanted to? <laughs> right. But it's whatever. And, of course, Julia remembers everything about taking the examination, or at least she remembers that she took it, right? And Quentin is out here, bold-faced, lying to her face for the very first time, talking about, no, girl, Fillory and Moore is is not even real. Fillory and Further is not real. Like, it's it's fine. And, she's, and she tells him straight up, like, don't lie to me. I know it happened. You're not going to convince me that it didn't happen. And, of course, where there's a will, where there's a way, and she uh, hooks up with Pete, who's a hedge witch. The hedge witches are basically witches that are on the outskirts. They didn't get into break bills or whatever other type of university might exist for um, magical pedagogy. And they are basically self-taught witches. Which I, which I really like because I love an underdog. I love a self-taught person. I love like, um, I love, I, I love, I love it. It's like, it's grit. It's, it's tenacity. It's, you know, you're about that life. Um, but what I don't like is how this show frames the hedge, which is as like lower or like dirty in some way. And then they never for being self-taught and then they never quite reverse that thinking. Um, one of the greatest villains of the series, Marina will be a, is a hedge, witch, even though she, I would say she is, at a caliber that could rival Alice definitively. Right, right, right. And that's the thing. Um, I like this idea of being self-taught because there's actually a lot of self-taught people, particularly in our generation, right? Those who right. can 
college or didn't finish college, but we live in the age of information. And if you really want to learn something, you can probably find a resource to learn it for free online, right? And there are people that are thinking and talking and theorizing and practicing circles around their college-educated counterparts. So I kind of like this idea. But again, this is a fantasy. So the way it works is they're trying to piece spells together because they don't have the information as easily disposable as a break bill student. Right. Any information for magic and spells, like the hedge witches have to, like literally have to fight and steal for it, which I, which I love. I think it, the dynamic that it sets up is really interesting. It just sucks that the show doesn't engage with it in any real way. Yeah. Um, it, it very much consistently feels like, Yes, these kids are talented, but they're not break bills, so there's something wrong with them. Right. Which is... Yeah, it's mm. bad. And the Marina character, I can't help but feel pity for her because she was expelled months before graduation. And everything that she learned while at break bills was wiped from her mind. It's not as easy as, oh, you didn't get in, so you're going to forget that you ever took the test. They took years of knowledge and hacked it out of her brain. (laughs) Right. And then the fact that she could build it back up again. I mean, my God, that's like, I'm sorry. That's my hero. That's the hero for me of the story. (laughs) It's so weird how the person that they choose to be our, our hero is rarely as heroic or smart or as brave, but Marina's a real one because after that situation, I might've just had a complete emotional mental breakdown. (laughs) Right. Which sort of, which brings us to, I guess, back to the idea of mediocrity thriving, like brings us back to Quentin, <laughs> who, who the show posits, the, yeah, who the show frames and posits as our hero of the story. Like he is our protagonist. He's our hero. Like he, by the time you get to the end of the pilot, he has somehow walked into Fillory and he's told by young Jane Chatwin that it is his duty to save magic uh, as they know it from this entity called the beast. And that's, and that's the end of our pilot. And that'll be and Quentin driving the story, being our protagonist will be the, the will be um, true for most of the series until the show, like, I don't know, has its own mental breakdown for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And kills him. Why? I don't know. Like, I truly don't know. (laughs) Like, all I can say is that when they kill Quentin, it really feels like white guilt. Like, white liberal guilt. (laughs) When they should have just... And it was like, no, sweetheart. Like, just... You you made these choices. Live with it. Finish it. Move on. I just felt a way about that. Was it really easier to kill Quentin than rather give him a real character arc and make him grow as a person? Listen... These are the thoughts. Let's think them. So, referencing a completely unrelated show in a completely different genre, I want to talk briefly about the Petra character from Jane the Virgin. Could have been too easy to kill her off at literally any time. She was literally the villain of season one. In parts of season two, honestly. Right. Not only would it have made perfect sense, but 
it would have helped further the Jane and Raphael love story without that particular obstacle. But they chose to not take the easy road and it ultimately paid off for the better. Gave this gave the story more depth, more intrigue, more richness, and more complexity. Yeah, it did. It did. That that choice the choice to keep her and then to I think to really humanize her in in a great way paid paid off. Uh and I and they could have made and I mean honestly, I think the show could have probably done better just making Quentin the villain ultimately the vil- the villain of the the show rather than killing him off that would have been a better arc honestly i would have liked it either way give quentin a real personality and let him stop being basic in either direction would have been fine <laughs> um i think one of the best uh seasons of teen wolf was the season right before they wrote off uh dylan o'brien where we had the evil styles character where dylan o'brien did some of his best acting like top tier um, they could have given Quentin this treatment. What they did to him was treat our protagonist as if he were disposable, and I didn't like that. Yeah, it didn't work. So what happens is that, like, and don't worry, we're going to talk more about season one, but what happens throughout the course of, essentially, the series is that the show becomes hyper-aware of itself. Um, in that, like, <laughs> uh, it under it realizes that, like, they have all these more interesting characters, and they realize that Quentin is basic. So then it seems as if the thought that's coming out of that room is to be like, okay, well, like, yeah, let's lean into the fact that Quentin is basic. And, like, all these other people are way more interesting than him. And, like, let's try to, like, make it a reflection of real life and that, like, basic white men win regardless. <laughs> so, but then it's like it didn't like that. And so then that's what they do, essentially. They lean into this idea that Quentin is mad basic. But then it's like they don't understand, like, where to go from there. So then they're just like, and then and it's like they're thinking, okay, but like all these other people are interesting and we like them better. And Quentin now is just like holding up the story. So let's kill Quentin. And then they and by killing Quentin, we will like make um like some sort of statement about like, you know, women are awesome and like people of color are awesome, even though all the women on this series are white. And we don't even have a real character for this Margot person. We don't, it doesn't matter. We're going to make some grand, awesome liberal statement. <laughs> and then they do it, but then it fucks the show. <laughs> like it, it fucks the storytelling apparatus of it. Like it doesn't work. And it's just like, what are you doing? So here's how I would have made it better. I was hell bent on not changing Quentin's personality in any way, like for the better or for the worst. I would have given him the Bonnie Bennett treatment. So oh wow, okay, yeah. Um, I but not the way she was treated throughout the series, but specifically, and I believe it was season seven where Bonnie gets trapped in an alternate timeline for almost the entire season, and so the other characters have to pick up the slack. Oh right, that's true. He could have been trapped in some like ran other random place that isn't Fillory and isn't like the castle, and he's just I don't know. He's just gone. Right, and let Penny or Marina or even Julia stand up and become the hero. And if Quentin comes back with the same personality or a different personality as a result of trauma or memory loss, it all makes sense. Yeah, it's all just gonna come out in that wash. I mean, that's not a bad idea. I don't hate it. 
There's a lot of things you can do if you're stuck. Like that's what I would have done if I was stuck. I'm just like send him away somewhere until we figure this till we figure this shit out. <laughs> till I come up with an idea. So they're <laughs> better is hard, but Quentin didn't deserve to go out like that. Like he was basic, but that's a lot of white dudes. That's not a crime. <laughs> right? It's not a crime. We love basic white men all the time. And that's what I'm saying. It felt like a preoccupation from the show, from the writers, from the showrunner. It didn't feel like something that the audience actually cared about. This felt like like somebody was having like a sort of liberal white panic about the fact that their show, one, was majority white, two, that they had done a disservice um, with their characters of color, which they did. And then three, they were doing a disservice which, with their white female characters, which they did. So the 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 panic answer was to kill Quentin when that was not the answer. <laughs> Y'all could have just written better stories for the people. I don't understand what... You literally could, didn't even have to do anything to or about Quentin. Just give us richer stories for Penny, for Marina, for Margot, for Elliot, for Julia. <laughs> so, so, so first season, after our pilot and like after we're introduced to this Beast character, which phenomenal introduction, by the way, by the end of the pilot, we see, we don't see the Beast, but he is very scary in regards to like his head is just like moths. We see that he he's coming to this classroom to murder everybody. And we see the Dean try to defeat him and instead get his eyes ripped out. So like, which is incredible. Obviously, our journey for season one begins. Um, and Alice, Quentin, Margot, Penny, and Katie, um, who is this girl, she, we find out later that she's not even supposed to be there. She kind of just sort of broke in. Which, I mean, that that's some real G shit. Imagine, right? Magical <laughs> university and no one realizes you're a stowaway. <laughs> Right, like Katie's one of my Katie's another one of my favorites. In fact, Katie's probably one of the more interesting, well-developed characters that they never just do anything with, which is once again like it's so frustrating. But here we are, um, uh, and Katie, who who's there and going to break bills, but is not supposed to be there, um, and is connected, in fact, with Marina and is like a hedge witch herself. So. The whole thing it becomes that as these as our group is like learning magic throughout this first season, they are learning magic and simultaneously learning magic and also trying to defeat the beast. And they do that throughout these first 13 episodes. They're learning how because Quentin is destined to or something. Um, he holds some sort of knowledge. And throughout the f- and then we realized throughout the first season that this knowledge that he holds is essentially these Fillory and further books. The Fillory and further books that he's like been obsessed that he and Julia have been obsessed with since they were kids actually are like the story of of magic itself and how magic is formed. So uh, and the authors of the books, um, and his knowledge of the authors and how these books were written and all the backstory is are the keys to defeating the beast and then also finding this other world called Fillory, which is where magic comes from. The wellspring in Fillory is uh, where the magic on Earth comes from. 
And in this time, like a lot of, I don't even know, because so much stuff happens in season season one. But that's essentially it. They when when they sort of decode all the things that happen, they then like find out the the identity of the beast, and he's actually this this kid who is one of the protagonists in the Fillerian Further books. And he was molested as a child and that molestate and because of his like molestation or something, it locks him out of like escaping into Fillory. I guess because like his molestation was like changing him in a way that was damaging. Therefore, like Fillory locked him out. And that's like sort of the thing with Fillory is that Fillory decides like who can come in and who can come out. And they would always accept Jane, but they stopped accepting him. And thus he felt so much anger that Fillory had like the world had like rejected him and essentially sentenced him to being molested that he then found his own way into Fillory and sought to conquer Fillory and be the and to destroy all of it because he blamed Fillory for not like you know helping him which honestly I feel that's fair that's fair as hell listen (laughs) Fillory is a victim blaming ass realm (laughs) (laughs) like I mean I'm on the beast side I get it I understand that seems really shitty (laughs) it's so shitty was the molestation not bad enough now I don't (laughs) Haven, what the hell? What the um, fuck? Why don't you have that energy for the abuser? <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Like, I, I'm really trying to like laugh this off, but this is a really serious topic, um, and the show handles it in such a way. I don't think the way the show handles it bad, but like the premise of Fillory locking out people because their trauma is just too great is peak. <laughs> Peak bullshit. Peak bullshit. And I think, and and I guess, like, the reason why you can't laugh it off is, like, and I guess this is the problem with the show. And, like, listen, this show is not the first to have this type of problem. A lot of shows have this problem. But the problem is, is that, like, when you sit it out, when you sit, like, we're sitting now and talking it out and thinking of it, like, this is not, like, like, this is fucked up. <laughs> like, and it's... And it's fucked up that the show doesn't engage with that in any serious way. And instead it's just like, magic, 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 magic. Aren't, isn't this magic so fun? Like, it's like, uh, okay, like, yeah, but like, no, you, you kind of need to engage with these topics if you're going to bring them up. Right. We can't just leave it at that. Like, let's have a real conversation about how psychologically, um, physically, even neurologically damaging it can be to be the victim of sexual abuse. Let's have that conversation about how uh, certain people are not equipped to have a conversation with survivors and make Fillory representative of, of that dynamic, right? That social dynamic where we don't want survivors to be seen or heard. Right. And it doesn't help that later on in the series, like the author who was the child molester who creates the beast sort of becomes this sort of fuddy-duddy, like bumbling idiot, like in the show. Like it was, it definitely gave me a rebrand energy. Yeah. I mean, I don't, and it's weak because they bring it up, but then they don't bring it up. And then they're like, (laughs) 
But yeah, they bring it up and they don't bring it up at the same time. Like, he becomes condemned, I think, to live forever. Like, the beast curses curses him, rightfully, right? Mm-hmm. So that, like, he lives forever, at, like, like to be, like, but, like, lives forever, like, and he can still feel pain and torture and stuff. So that, like, okay, but also, but then, like, the fact that he then becomes this sort of fuddy-duddy, aren't I so silly, like, person doesn't feel right either. It doesn't, and I think they were trying to rebrand the character, but it seems much more insidious, because anyone who's ever been groomed will tell you that the person who groomed them came off exactly like that. Unassuming, non-insidious, very benign, even very loving and warm. So it just, it just feels very much like undercover pedo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like it doesn't, like it doesn't help. Like, and maybe, and I, and maybe that's the point, right? That he is, he does come off as like warm and, and fun and like that's, that's the idea that like people who come off on warm and warm and fun can be like insidious, but I don't know that it lands the way that they were intending it to land. No, I got all, I had to glean all of this just from lived experience. Right. They, this is not an actual point that they're trying to hammer home. Right. Like it's, yeah, you know, and listen, this isn't to say like, and I, I know we're ragging on the show, and it's mostly because like I'm thinking about it really in depthly. But I appreciate that at least the show swung for the fences. You know, I do appreciate that. I do appreciate the am- the ambitiousness of like the ambition of the show. I do appreciate that they like really went for these ideas, even if they even if there are problems, and there are a lot of problems, and some of those problems were avoidable. Some of them are feel like like this beast child molesting thing just feel like maybe something they didn't anticipate it coming out in the wash but um yeah yeah um again great topics to touch on but topics of this magnitude shouldn't just be touched on and then you know hop skip and jump away um this very serious theme that had very serious emotional and physical ramifications for that character Right. Well, so let's touch on some stuff that happened in in season one that are that I actually think are are interesting um, and not like so horrible as this. Uh, I do like because earlier we were talking about the Julia Julia Quinton relationship. Um, I do think the Julia Quinton relationship throughout the course of season one is interesting in in the way that like there is like a role reversal between them, in that Quinton was the one who was like dealing with like really deep depression and anxiety and, you know, flunking out of school and sort of being the fuck up friend, quote unquote, whereas Julia wasn't. And thus, and then their situations reverse and that Julia become when, when Quentin is accepted into um, magic school, Julia then becomes the, the quote unquote fuck up friend and Quentin is succeeding in break bills. But I think it's interesting that, and I do think it, um, and the reason why I, th- I say the villain treatment with Qu- Quentin would have worked the best is what Quentin does once he is qu- no longer the quote unquote fuck up friend. He does not have the same compassion for Julia that Julia had for him. Yes. 
Yes, yes. Let's I and I really love that they do this because friendship dynamics will change as one or the other party changes, as uh power imbalances shift, as privilege shifts. And I think it was really smart of them to write that on the show. Like Quentin's feeling himself for the first time. And of course it's going to affect uh, his relationships with other people. Cause like you said, he's used to being the fuck up friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I think uh, a lot of shows like to do this thing where the person who was like the golden child or the one who was on top, they become super petty and jealous. And I think that's overdone. I think it's smart to show how the person who, you know, was on the bottom now when they're on top, how that makes them toxic. Yeah. And cause it does. I mean, to the point where Julia does, I mean, a really nasty thing, uh, sh- but, um, but um, I mean, it's very nasty. She, she casts a spell with Marina with Marina's help to, and I feel bad for Julia because she didn't, she clearly didn't mean it to get out of, as out of hand as it ended up getting, but she casts a spell with Marina's help uh, that makes Quentin think he's going crazy, that none of the things that actually happened to him happened to him. She does it as like a get back, right? In order to be like, see, like, see how this feels, but it ends up almost mentally debilitating Quentin completely because then they they don't know how to reverse it. And Quentin has to be saved by Alice, but it's understandable why she does what she does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, and I think it's, it's also an example of how sometimes you do a thing to a friend and how things can quickly get out of hand that you did not mean to get that out of hand. Right. Right. And the thing is, Julia doesn't really know what she's doing. She has magical abilities. This is this is not debatable, but she's a hedge witch. Her and Marina are literally just trying to piece some shit together. And this spell is dangerous, even if they both had experience and knew exactly what they were doing. Right. She definitely took it too far. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> not going to lie. Not not debating that. It went way too far. Um, but yeah, that situation was definitely one of provocation, not necessarily envy. Every single time Quentin tried to gaslight her, that was a provocation. Every oh, time yeah. he behaved as if he were now superior to her, that was a provocation. Oh, of course. Of course. Every time he, yeah, every time when he shows up with Elliot and he's like, you're just, you're lesser. <laughs> like, And he makes that little speech about you're lesser than me when he can clearly see that she is in so much pain. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right. It's not as simple as he got into break bills. Let me ruin his fucking life. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that cut and dry. Quentin knew he had this shit coming. Let's be very. And how we could have even circled back to that and said the, the spell that she cast on Quentin had been deteriorating him all this time. It had never been undone. It had never been rectified. And that's why Quentin becomes evil. Yeah. You really could have played with that too, writers. Right. These options. These were options. <laughs> um, and then uh, what else? Some other, some other interesting stuff. Yeah, we learned that like Quentin is like queer, like his sort of his queer identity shows up and that's interesting. And he does it. And it, it's interesting because like the way it happens is like super dramatic <laughs> because at this point he's dating Alice and they're like in a real for real committed relationship. And then he cheats on her. <laughs> 
with like two people, which is like, that is truly, that is truly uh, the way you do not want to find out your boyfriend cheated. Give me like one little bit of like acknowledgement. (laughs) (laughs) This is how they act. I hate this statement, but Quentin needed to be humbled. (laughs) Like, it's one thing, it's one thing like that, like, you know, your man cheats on you with like another man, like, okay, fine. Like men cheat. That's what they do. Like they cheat. It's one thing. It's another thing that like your man cheats on you with another man and another woman, like together, like that would be like, are you serious? Right. Right. He has a whole threesome as a way of cheating. And like Alice didn't do anything to provoke that. That's what, yeah, that's what hurts. (laughs) Alice was like up until this point, like a really good girlfriend. Right. Alice is also like white beauty standards epitome, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, she wears glasses. Yeah, we're going to dress it down. She's good. Oh, glasses. But <laughs> And then she hooks up with Penny and then Quentin has the nerve to be like mad. I'm like, oh my God, Quentin, who are you? Which is also a very accurate representation, I think, of like dudes in relationships. They'll feel some type of way when you start treating them like they treat you. And I'm like, she only hooked up with the one person. She's I was like, it's not really a revenge fuck unless she also goes out and has a threesome. I was about to say, she hooked up with one person, Quentin. You hooked up with two, two at the same time. Like, the math is not mathing. <laughs> You're the still- math is not mathing, Quentin. Um, so Quentin does all this. Uh, what else happens this season? Katie's mother dies. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, doing something with Marina. And, like, she doesn't know her mom is dead for, like, another episode and a half. And the whole thing with Katie is, like, yeah, the Katie thing is actually one of the most fascinating, like, one of the better storylines. Because Katie's whole thing is is that she's in debt. Like, her, not, in, not her, but her mother is in debt to Marina. And that's why Katie snuck into break bills. Because she's, Katie's at break bills trying to pay off her mother's debt right so Mm -hmm. the fact that her mother then dies like double like crossing marina again and katie doesn't find out some really raw shit it is it is but like i said to katie's credit she's probably the most powerful person at break bills that she can break into break bills as a non-student and just like yeah making things happen Right. And the only reason why she gets found out is because, like, you know, she just be loving that man. Oh, these men. And it's not even Penny. Penny doesn't do anything. In fact, Penny tries to help. But, like, what happens is, like, she and Penny are, like, in a really serious thing. Like, you know, she's feeling all her feelings for him. And uh, she has, like, mental wards, like, it, and essentially that protect her mind from being, like, read by telepaths and other magicians. And she pulls them down specifically for Penny. And Penny, um, and Penny, like, once Penny then knows the whole story, he's like, yeah, girl, it's you and me. We're going to Bonnie and Clyde this shit. We're going to steal from, like, this super, like, good magician called my, like, and one of their professors. He's Russian. Don't ask me to pronounce his name. Mayakovsky. That's what I'm going to say. Um, they go and steal something for Mayakovsky to essentially pay off her mom's debt. And like Mayakovsky, he catches them because like, like we said, he's their professor and he's like an excellent, one of the, one of the upper level magicians like in the world. So he gets them and, and that's what triggers break bills to realize she's not supposed to be there and kick her out. 
Um, and I, I will say to Maya Costi's credit, he has a lot of compassion for her. He's like, sorry. Like, and I think he's the one that tells her her mother's dead. That it's like, you know, your debt's not even, you don't even, because she's dead. <laughs> she's like, Marina, like, iced her. And it it sucks. But, you know, love be getting you, man. It really does. I will say to the show's credit, I feel like the the relation, the the depiction of relationships on this show is very good. The friendships, the romantic relationships, the sexual relationships, I feel it's all very good. I feel it's all very accurate. Um, the coming togethers and the growing aparts of the people, I feel, is very good and quite realistic, given that this is a fantasy show. Um, but I will also say uh, about the Katie character, um, the reason why it's easy to... Uh, hate Marina um, is that Marina Marina's desire to get her memories back has a lot of casualties. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a de- definitively makes her a villain. Um, she's just like, I'm not going to stop at any cost. And here's the thing. I have enough self-awareness and honesty to not front like I wouldn't do the same thing where I wouldn't be tempted to do the exact same thing. I, I'm not going to put myself on this moral pedestal and be like, <laughs> you stole four years of my life. I would never. <laughs> <laughs> like, I couldn't, I could not honestly say this. I'm either going to have a breakdown or I'm going to become a villain. Like, those are the options. <laughs> those are the options, honey. And listen, like, I would hope. I guess I would hope I would at least be like Ursula. Like, I would have contracts, you know? I would set terms, and that would be my guiding <laughs> principle. I would have contracts, and I would just abide by them, and, and nothing further. That's the most that I would hope for myself. Right, right, right. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I would lose my mind. Um, and here's... I do like this about the show, though. Yeah, she's the villain, but, like, her reasons are are legitimate or at least understandable. I really hate when people, and it's the same thing with the beast. I really hate when pe- people get thrown into villain status and like their backstory simply doesn't track. It doesn't make any sense. Like give me a villain's uh, origin story that I can hang with. Season, so season one ends with, um, with our little Scooby gang finding Fillory getting find, finding fillory and they defeat the beast with the help of uh julia who summoned a trickster god and was violently horribly raped and so she uh fixed her mind so that she would never be able to remember it or she had marina do it she had marina rip that part that memory out of her head and uh they they summon another they summon the gods of Fillory, the creators of Fillory, to to help them drink from you know the source of all magic and all together after Alice drinks, you know God semen, uh, they defeat the beast. Lord, yeah. And there's like a whole other plot line where um I would love to not see rape as a plot device anymore. Listen, I, that's one of the things I had. That's one of the big issues I had with it. I was like, wow, are we really once again using a woman's rape as like a, a reason? And I, as like a way to forward the story. And I guess like, 
because it's specifically used to help further her story and she does they do like try to deal with it but that but the fact that like a woman is not like transformed in any meaningful way without a rape is ridiculous to me almost as if no matter what whether it's uh sex consensual sex uh celibacy chastity or rape men always think that their penis or lack thereof is a character builder for women (laughs) (laughs) and i think it's annoying it's i think it's particularly annoying in this context because it didn't need to happen because this the fact that she I felt like the fact that she had to become a hedge witch and then become and then still become a magician powerful enough to help the 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 team defeat the beast is enough character building within and of itself. Right, right, right. Um, hell, the fact that she did not get into break bills, had to fight her boyfriend, um, excuse me, had to fight her best friend physically, magically, emotionally, just to retain memories of what happened, had to deal with these relationship dynamics, had to deal with uh, being part of the hedge witch circle. Is that not a transformative coming of age experience? Right? I felt like that was transformative enough, truly and honestly. And like, and had the show like leaned into that, they would have had enough, like they just would have had enough. They would have, they would have had what they needed to forward the story. But instead, it's like she's raped by this trickster god. So, like, whatever. Um, And then they make it worse because then she's pregnant. She finds out she's pregnant at the end of it, which is even worse. Did a Cordelia chase on her? They did. They pulled a Cordelia chase, which is like, oh, man. It's yeah, it's 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 really bad. Like it's not a character assassination in the way that Cordelia's was, but it's very bad. It's bad. But season one, good, bad, or basic for you? I'm gonna give season one a solid. I'm trying not to get distracted by all the magical stuff and base my rating solely on the story, the dialogue, the casting, the mm-hmm. act. I'm gonna give it like a good minus. Same. I was gonna. I I was coming in with a good minus as well. I think, and the only reason that I, for me particularly, what saves it is just um, the performances by the actors, and then I, and like you said earlier, I think the a lot of these a lot of these relationships um, feel really honest, feel really honest, feel lived in, and and that's what saves it for me. Mhm, mhm. I'm gonna agree with that. I, like I said, the relationships feel very real. And, and you know, one thing that I'm going to, ha- we haven't talked about, I really love the way that the show is, is shot. It's very cinematic. It's very engrossing. It's very uh, provocative. Um, I like it a lot. I like how the show is stylized very much. Same. And I think they do, I think they do a really good job with such, with a very clearly limited budget, to be honest. <laughs> like, it's like, you know. Sci-fi, don't ask for much. <laughs> <laughs> right it's sci-fi they don't have a lot but um but they do but what they but what they they're given they they do do a lot with it and i to me yes that's also same that's impressive so we come in hot with season two with the beast was not i said i made a mistake i said the beast was defeated the beast was like not defeated they just like wounded the beast really badly because once uh the the fillery god uh, takes the memory from Julia's mind. Um, mm-hmm. 
she just she just takes the beast hostage like uh because she's enlisted the beast to help her kill the trickster god because the whole thing was that like the beast was going to kill like we said the beast felt a type of way that Fillory had locked him out and uh allowed him to be molested so he was going to kill the gods of Fillory as like his ultimate act of revenge against Fillory which like I said not mad at it honestly um <laughs> <laughs> Honest Alice with the last remaining uh vestiges of swallowing uh the 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 fillery god come helped revive the rest of our heroes uh from death and all that stuff. So where we kick off season two with with our heroes at the in fillery at the wellspring, which is the source of all magic. And they are there to to drink from it in hopes that um, they will be powerful enough to truly definitive and definitively defeat the beast. Meanwhile, Alice, not Alice. Meanwhile, like I said, Julia has like has the beast hostage in order to help in order for the beast to help her, you know, kill Reynard, which is the trickster god. Can we talk about how Fillory allows a literal rapist to stay there? Yeah. yeah. You mean like the author? And Reynard. Oh. Well, like Reynard doesn't like live on their plane, on Fillory's plane, no. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got you. All right. He, he lives like in another realm. And we find out that like, and honestly, this is horrible. Like, and this is another thing that's horrible. We find out that Reynard essentially... Because how Julia got raped is that, like, she was trying to call, like, um, Persephone, mm-hmm. the Greek god. Like, she was kind of trying to call Persephone to help fix the world or whatever. And apparently Reynard's, Reynard is Persephone's son. And the whole thing of it is that, like, Persephone's been, like, MIA for, like, a really long time. Like, in her realm and on Earth. And so... Essentially, Reynard has every time like somebody tries to summon Persephone, anytime like any magician tries to summon Persephone, Reynard has been like showing up and just like killing and raping them because like his he's he because he's mad his mommy doesn't love him, which is I'm, like it's giving me like father like son because Hades uh, uh, Hades literally dragged Persephone to literal hell to be with him during the fall and winter months because he just had to have her and only lets her go above ground in the spring and summer. It's giving me daddy issues more than mom. (laughs) Right? Like, it's giving me real, like, right? And that's, like, Reynard's whole thing. He's like, my mommy doesn't, like, I don't even know where she is. She doesn't call. She doesn't come when I call her. And... You, she doesn't come when you people call her either. So now I'm just going to like be, so now every time somebody tries to call my mommy, I'm just going to go instead and murder and rape you, which is like, I mean, you could have that in the family group chat, <laughs> right? Like pull it together. <laughs> you could have. <laughs> uh, the show's, the show's, uh, the show does do a good job of depicting various levels of entitlement with a lot of the characters. And Reynard is a perfect example of this. Um, I'm sorry you didn't get enough attention. Just because you were abused or neglected doesn't give you the right to abuse people. Like, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of or there could be a lot of nuance there but the julia character is pregnant and that that kind of shifts the focus away from his actual crime right because it's now now it's about making getting julia like a magical abortion which is more difficult than it seems because we find out that like any once she's like once julia's like ego prego with reynard's baby um it's not a she like um she can't just she can't just go she can't just go get it like taken care of because every time essentially every time that like a person tries to 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 dislodge the baby or whatever like they die and not even by reynard like it's just like the the fetus can magically protect itself yeah it's all kinds of yikes as if a regular abortion isn't hard enough (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> which which i actually think is a really good turn from the show because that is really that's horrible <laughs> in the greatest way yeah it is horrible i think it's a it's a good plot line too um i wish a magical shows would just give me a a woman who's like in a consenting situation with her man and her baby and they're all on board about wanting this child it's always got to be either something like julia's situation or bella swan's situation in twilight where her magical baby is threatening to ruin her marriage and possibly kill her (laughs) right and even when so the magicians will eventually get on this train but even then it's like it's kind of more bella swanish like pen like so Penny will die and then like a new Penny quote unquote will come back and uh, that Penny like is obsessed with Julia or something. And then like Julia gets like ego prego by Penny. But then there's like a whole thing where like the baby has like a magical umbilical cord that could kill Julia or something. Yeah. Julia's always like at high risk pregnancies. <laughs> um, yeah. Julia's and high risk pregnancies will be, Something that's definitive for her throughout the course of the series. It's so bad. I feel terrible for her. Um, The way Julia is treated... So, Quentin goes off on his little rant and tells her that she's lesser before she, like, snaps on him in season one. But I feel like the show kind of treats her as lesser moving forward. She's, like, the person that bad things consistently happen to. Yeah, you know, that's true. Listen, so you and I talked about in the community episode about how these ensemble, and I think we've talked about this in several episodes before, about how the ensemble dramas are really hard. (laughs) Like, they are not easy. Um, Developing all these characters equally, giving them equal time, and then weaving them together in a way that is fair towards everyone is really difficult i feel like the magicians is a real example of that like truly because when i think of it and as we're sort of talking it out all these characters get the shaft like truly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah in one way or another people are wrong they are slighted they are abused they're exploited and i don't know man i feel like the magical world isn't giving (laughs) like it's just not and 
and we say this in in like the sense of like it's not that like characters can't go through trauma or we're like against you know trauma informing who they are but it's none of it is like shaking out or resolving in a way that is satisfying um or proportional to the story that's been set up hard agree with that in episode three of season two there's also one of the an episode that i really love where the beast uh curses the group and forces them all to kill each other and penny has to bring them back right Mm -hmm. and i think one of the reasons why i love this so much is because um i first of all penny gets to be the hero but also you kind of see that the 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 beast's pain and rage it's it's magnified to the point where it doesn't have a specific source. It's just pouring out over everyone, which I think is a really good analogy for trauma. Right. Right. And I and I and if that's the point they're trying to make that I I like that and it feels honest, but it doesn't feel engaged with. And I think that's another thing that I have with this series is that the things that will, a lot of the things that will happen feel correct. Like, like you said, like, I mean, like we said before, like the fact that this, the author who is a child molester, the fact that he is kind of fuddy-duddy and benign is correct. Like, I like that idea, but it doesn't, but the payoff isn't there or like the engagement with that idea is not there. Yes, that happens with the beast that happens with uh, the Julia plot in this pregnancy and the, and the rape. It happens with, it even happens with Elliot this, this year who has to, um, in this season, who has to stay in Fillory and be king and can never leave. The sense of being trapped somewhere that you, you don't want to be. It, like, it, it's an honest feeling. It's an honest idea. It just doesn't feel fully engaged with. Yeah, the show has a lot of ideas. It has a lot of opinions. It has, it starts to walk in certain directions and then like just stops after a few steps. Right. I agree. I think that's why I have the grievances that I have. The show has enough self-awareness to put these certain themes out there, but lacks the follow through. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's the chief. I think that's a primary problem. And I, and a part of me wonders if the problem is because it has to do it in such a short amount of time um, in the sense of like, it's only 13 episodes. Maybe if this was like a 22 episode season, like Jane the Virgin, they would have the time to fully realize a lot of these things. But um, I don't know. Give it to him because we've seen what Sarah Gamble specifically can do with an adaptation of another novel. Like, isn't you like 10 episodes a season and they make sure it hits? <laughs> That's true. It hit like you does hit. You's touching on all the ideas, but I would also say you has way less characters that they're dealing with. That's true. I think this is a real problem for some writers. It's not a problem for writers like, I don't know, um, a Dan Harmon or Kurt Sutter, but some people are simply not uh, uh, as adept at juggling all those balls or keeping, you know, keeping the, a clear direction in a writer's room with many voices and many cooks in the kitchen. That's a that's an assessment. That's a and I I don't know. I think that's a fair one. But you know, it's like I said, it's not all bad. 
Uh, the Magicians is a really great show, especially if you don't think too much about the real world response and ramifications of some of the themes that they're touching on. Um, is good. The casting is good. The dialogue feels believable. The relationships feel believable. That's true. And I, I, I agree with that. Like if you, if you're just here for the magic and for the funny daddy and like for the funnies and like you ignore pretty much everything else, I think it's a good time. Honestly. It is a good time. And I think the show might have fared better from a writing perspective if they had just focused on the good time and not have been, as what you said, hyper self-aware. I think the cipher helped the hyper self-awareness and probably um, digging a little bit too deep into social media feedback actually was a more of a hindrance than a help for this series. Yeah, I think like I, yeah, I wanted, you know, I just, I needed less. I think the show wanted to be like interesting and complicated. And I, I just don't think they quite had the range to be interesting and complicated. I think they should have made simpler choices. And I think I would have liked everything better. Um, yeah, it was definitely a case of way too much going on, but I will say that I thought that season two was better than season one. What's your grade? Ooh, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I think season two is more uh, is more coherent than season one. I, I agree with that. Yeah, and I just like how they incorporated their pretty big uh, principal cast in, in better ways, I think, than uh, in season one. Um, a lot of the problems are still there, but because we're seeing more out of a greater range of characters, it's easier to just uh, enjoy what's happening on screen. Yeah, I will say I I like this turn. Um, some so some stuff that happens in season two that I that I find interesting um, is that I like uh, I I like learning like the whole story. I like that the the learning like the whole story about the beast and like the thirty four timelines. Like that's interesting to me. That like they've been trying to defeat the beast like 34 times and have done, and Jane Chatwin has rearranged time and has, has been like sort of messing with this particular group to try to get it right. Um, that's, that was interesting to me. I liked that turn. Um, I like the magical abortion turn, uh, particularly since it's like, has to be like a heist and there's like a whole thing and that's really fun. Um, I, although I think they use East Asian people in a really, like, annoying sort of stereotypical way. That's really annoying, but whatever. It's still kind of fun. I hated the musical stuff, but that's just, you know me, I hate musicals. <laughs> Same. If it's not a musical, I don't want to see a musical number. Sorry. Number. I hated it. Yeah, I hated the random sort of... Uh, Les Mis musical number in the middle of the show. I was like, this is horrible. Why do you guys insist on doing this? Like, I I feel like there, we're in a current moment where there are a lot of, like, white theater nerds who are, like, who became, like, Hollywood writers. And, like, I, I need it to stop. Like, mm-hmm. like, stop it. Stop it. Like, I get it. You went to school for theater. You thought you were going to be on Broadway. It didn't happen. You became a writer. Um, and that worked out for you 
I don't need to like relive your shattered theater dreams in my my um in my TV show. I don't want it. Take it away from me. And if your cast needs an opportunity to show us that they can sing and they're multifaceted and complex, don't. Don't. They can release an album. If like if girls on TikTok can release albums never having in a single, never having done any sort not having literally a, a quarter of a teaspoon of talent, then your cast can too. Let them do that for themselves. Yeah, just you don't have to be the jack of all trades, just master of one or a few. It's fine. You don't have to be good at everything. You don't have to show us that you dabble in everything. The, the magicians had a way of doing that with the plot as well. There was a lot of dabbling, not a lot of exploring. I don't like that. Right. And there was like a lot of dabbling and not a lot of like nailing something like like nailing something uh, and landing it like confidently. You know what I mean? It's like, if you know you're not Simone Biles, don't try to do Simone Biles tricks. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay to just be, it's okay to just be Allie Raisman. You know what I mean? That's okay. Like, that's still really, that that's an achievement still. And even if you're not the best, like, Anna Kornikova was like ranked 27th in her peak. You're still making money. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like you're still right like Anna Kornikova is still iconic <laughs> like we love her hey you don't have to be the best you just have to do something consistently it's fine we'll respect it we'll respect it okay like you if you know your Maria Sharapova don't try to don't get out here thinking you're Serena Williams you know don't do that that's that's hard the why when Sarah Gamble gets it right and the writer's room is on point, she nails it. Listen, she serves. She serves. She the really does. If the Magicians is the worst we're going to get for, from her, that's still better than a lot of people's very best. Listen, listen, speak on that because that's so real. <laughs> if your worst is better than someone else's best, honey, you're winning. You're, you're winning. winning, okay? There's a lot of girls who cannot, there are a lot of girls out here who cannot do what she did with you. They, they just, they don't exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always say with that show, it was the perfect storm of, of the, you know, the showrunner, the writers, and the, the lead, right? All else being equal, if you had just changed one of those things, you would not have had the hit that you have. <laughs> Right? Like it it wouldn't have been a hit record. It wouldn't it wouldn't have been a hit series. So so the fact that um this is what it is. I mean, you know, it is what it is. So season two. Season two is all about uh the our our motley crew, our Scooby gang becomes like the kings and queens of Fillory, because that's like a rule of Fillory, is that like children from Earth rule Fillory. And um, except for Elliot, who has to be there full time, and Margot then stays with him because she has no real identity outside Elliot's best friend. It's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad. Um, uh, she also stays there with him, and it's and so what happened? So what you t- we talked about earlier in terms of like people of color having po- like uh, power but no authority sort of happens to the Margot character in season two and going forward. Like, 
And it's really unfortunate to watch, like, there's a, there's like a real stanhood for the Margot character as written and it, uh, by girls of color. And it's, it's sad because it's just like, it's so indicative of how little girls of color have that you would stand this character this hard. <laughs> we need representation, but not all of it is good. And more than not being good, a lot of it is just not honest. <laughs> Right. And I think that is like a chief problem with the Margot character. She has no real identity outside of Elliot, out, out beyond Elliot. And in the second season, they give her all these like sort of pithy lines. And I guess that's supposed to be enough to create a character, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it, it. She kind of varies between like, you know, um, Elliot's hold me down and comedic relief, which is not a good role for her. And let's make something very clear. I could buy that she stayed there to be by Elliot's side if she and Elliot were in some sort of romantic relationship because people do dumb things when they're in love, but they're not. Right, they're not. So they're really good friends who sometimes hook up with boys together. I'm not staying in an alternate reality f far away from Ken and Kurth for my bestie. Sorry. <laughs> like, I mean, I would come and check on you a lot, but like... Yeah, I would just be like, yo, Alex, what's up? Are they feeding you good? Are they treating you good? Did you have to behead anyone lately? Oh my God, what was that like? <laughs> what was that like? But And I would come and visit a bunch and make sure you were okay, but like I'm expecting you to figure some shit out. <laughs> and honestly, I would probably demand that my best friend leave if I had to stay there so that they can find, they can go to the other side and find a way for me to get out. Cause I'm not trying to be either. Same. That's a, and that's another thing that she, they don't like, I think that's another thing that's confusing to me that like nobody actively is looking for a way to like loophole him out of this situation, which like, I accept this as <laughs> it's so weird. It's weird, right? And like, it's weird that like he just accepts it. And it's strange to me that, um, and I guess like the reason why it's weird to me is that like the the rules of the world and the magicians already feel so malleable, right. That like it doesn't that it's like it 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 doesn't make sense that like this is the one thing that's like a hard line, right? I mean, listen, if you have like monarch uh, dreams, then just say that. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, yeah, like it's it's just kind of strange to me. And so so then we have so then we have new people, which like you know how I feel about new people. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but um we have this new person in the character of her name's Faye. Faye? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't yeah, is that her name? Yeah, I think it's Faye. Yeah, Faye, who is like uh she you know, she was born and raised in Fillory, and the whole deal was that like if her dad made them the magic knife to kill the beast, then she gets to be queen or whatever. Sorry, it's Fen. It's Fen. Fen, not Fen. I was close. <laughs> I was close. Fen, Fen. Um, she gets Fen gets to be queen, 
as long as uh, as long as her daddy made the magic knife, and her daddy made the magic knife, so now she's queen of fillery, and there's this like whole weird thing with like her. There's a there's a weird dynamic between her and Elliot, and like sex, but like not sex. And then there's like a baby, and it's I have no clue what the show was trying to say like about it, honestly. I think the the show really pigeonholed it itself because we have the the Quentin character who was, you know, bisexual or pansexual. Why not make Elliot more fluid too, so that this whole thing with Fen makes some type of sense? Right, because then because right now they're just like in a loveless marriage, and that's I I mean, and that's hard for me to watch. It's very cool to watch, and if he was an alcoholic before, he's got a reason to drink now. <laughs> Cause it's like, and it's, and it's really tra- like, it's so tragic because there's like a scene where like, I guess like he gets through sex with her because of some like, like golem technology or whatever, not technology, but golem magic spell thing where like he's having sex with her, but he sees like a guy. So like, it's whatever he can sort of check out, but that feels really unhealthy <laughs> for a lot of reason, obvious reasons. And then when she, when they do it, like, she likes it, which, like, yeah, that makes sense. And then, so, like, she wants to, like, keep doing it, but, like, he didn't tell her that he checked out in the first place. So now she's, like, thinking that this man, like, can have, can still have, like, some sort of sexual attraction to her. But, like, the truth is not really. And it's, like, what is that doing to Fen? (laughs) Right, and why are we taking the idea of a beard into the magical realm? <laughs> let's leave that behind. <laughs> right, let's leave that completely behind. Like, she is, and I, and that's, I think that's what's really tragic for me, though, is, like, Fen is assuming that he has some sort of, like, bisexuality or whatever, and he has zero, and, like, what is that doing to her own, like, emotional self-worth and, like, like self-image and self-esteem? Like, you could have made it clear that, you know, she knows of his feelings or lack thereof. You could have made him homo-flexible. You could have made him uh, queer, I mean, um, uh, fluid. You could have made him pansexual. You could have literally done anything but bring the concept of a beard into yet another (laughs) universe or another plane. Right. And this is a show which, like, is getting on board with the idea of bestiality, which is like, let's not even get into that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, thing. I'm a, I'm a chief proponent that, like, you don't have to take all of the isms that exist in our world and bring them into a fantasy world. Like, you can reimagine <laughs> the nature of relationships and how people interact with each other. You don't have to bring all of the drama into your made-up world, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that happens, and then, but one of the, the, but the chief thing for, but throughout the course of season two, um, is just the, it's mostly, it's, it's mostly Fillory-focused, with, uh, it's mostly Fillory-focused, and, um, uh, with, there's, like, a thing, oh, Margot makes, like, a deal with, like, the fairies, uh, and Fillory, uh, 
goes with the sort of there's lots of like mythology around fairies. Sometimes they're like Tinkerbell fairies and sometimes they're like really scary and evil and Fillory and the magician sort of settles somewhere like uh, in the middle. Um, Fillory fairies are like just they're sketchy. They're not completely evil, but they're definitely on the side of sketch. And so Margot makes a deal with the fairies to like give over Fen's baby <laughs> to the fairies once the baby is born. Which, ma'am, you're not in a position to offer that. <laughs> in order to, like, say, or, or, like, she does it because, like, magic is, like, gone or something, or, like, magic is, like, on the serious, on, a, like, the serious fritz. It's on, like, a real, because the fillery god, the the one with the horns or whatever, took a, took a dump in the wellspring, so magic is on, like, the fritz in a serious way and the fairies promise essentially to fix the wellspring and fix fix magic as long as margot gives over fen's baby i'm sorry but it's a magical spring and it can't handle a little bit of feces that's what i'm this is a good point (laughs) this makes absolutely no sense like isn't that the point of water you 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 dump in it and then it just sort of carries it down the like, to the ocean I don't and then like makes minor things into huge inconveniences <laughs> <laughs> like and and see you know what if they and you know what really gets me about the like how how apparently this dump that they take in the wellspring is like really bad is that it's like it's the fact that they specifically say like wellspring so i'm associating it with like a river Mm-hmm. or like a brook and when they and when you and then when we see like a shot of the well of the wellspring it is like it does look like a sort of like river situation mm-hmm. so like i'm assuming so then in my mind i'm like well it's like a river if like you take a dump in a river like the river is going to take the dump all the way to the ocean or your dump will just get lodged in a rock and then fish will like eat it and it will become a part of the thing the water will still and like the rocks will eventually filter it out and make it clean and you can eventually like drink from it again. So like what's why is this one particular dump fucking up the wellspring? Right, right. This this seems like very mundane non-magical problems. So it should be like a blip in the regards to um, uh, you know something magical. And the term wellspring always made me believe that there were some sort of healing powers to this little this little body of water, right? Right. Um, has no one put like an infected body part or a gangrenous leg in there before? <laughs> right, because that's I mean that's what Penny start that's what Penny does at the start of the season. <laughs> Bacteria. <laughs> like Penny like heals his hands in the healing spring or whatever that's connected to the wellspring. Yeah, it's not giving. It's not giving. I don't know if this was written in the book, but if it was, it's the, this writing has been weak for a minute. <laughs> right? Like there were there were a bunch of problems. And so we end the season with like the the fairies have come to collect this thing. Meanwhile, as a result of this like Julia and this um this pregnancy, this, like, evil pregnancy or whatever, she is now, like, a god. 
or she has godlike powers. Right. And oh, and it's only because like so Julia like Julia found apparently like Renard's has like another son by another woman that he raped one time because his mommy didn't love him. And so she goes to find the son and then a thing happens, but she absorbs his power essentially so that she can make it look like she can make it look like Persephone is coming back to earth. And so when she does it like this tricks Reynard into thinking like his mommy is here. So now he's finally going to be able to confront his like deadbeat mommy. And he, and so, but they're really just there to like kill Reynard. And then Persephone really does come because <laughs> she's like, don't kill my son. And she's like, your son has literally just been out here killing and raping people. <laughs> like, are you serious? I don't know. I'm not saying I would abandon my child, but if I did abandon my child and I came back and you're a whole rapist, I'm going to make that abandonment permanent. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you can't just sit out here and kill my son, even though he's been raping and like murdering people. And I've seen all of it. And I'm just like, and I didn't like try to stop it in any sort of way. Um, which feels really like, okay, like, <laughs> let me tell you something. This gets really ridiculous. Now that I'm saying all this back, this is all getting really ridiculous. It is. It gets very ridiculous very quickly. Um, I don't know how we got here, but here's the thing that the show actually does very well. It's, it's, it's very gradual. Like if they just threw us into the middle of season two, I would be like, what is happening? And <laughs> But it's very gradual, the ridiculousness, the hijinks, um, the way that they want us to suspend belief further and further. Right, right. And it helps that, like, they, um, I think uh, something that they're they're doing is that they're just, you know, it's just plot, 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 plot. Like, you know, mm -hmm. that they're they're throwing out here. Right, right. And I'm not mad about that. I'm, I'm legitimately never mad about that. Um... I do wish that the show was as character focused as it is plot focused, but I do understand that when you're essentially world building, that might seem very overwhelming at times. Yeah. I, and I agree. Um, I will say though that, uh, another thing, and that's another thing that happens in season two is Penny, like kills himself for this white girl. And I hate that. I just hate it when people of color do that in TV. <laughs> it hurts me so much. Yeah, I mean, I don't care if that was your soulmate. It's still not that serious. <laughs> it's not that real. I hate it. I I don't mind it when white people do it for each other, but, like, I'm sorry. Racism and colorism exist, and therefore <laughs> we live in a set of circumstances. Uh, so when I see that, it's triggering. It really is. Honest to God. It's not It's not the romantic feat that you guys make it out to be. I, I swear. Particularly when men of color are doing it for white women because they do not have that same energy for, for like, their racial counterpart, like, on screen ever. Yeah. I will say this in the show's defense, though. If anybody was the type to do something like that, like, from season one, it would have been Penny. <laughs> That's true. They set him up to be like this. But still, I I don't. and I And I hate it even more because, like, the show writes him, at least in season one, with this awareness of, like, these white people are ridiculous. And yet, 
And yet, <laughs> yet he like is just like, yeah, I'm just gonna do this. I'm like, why, Penny? Why? <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to do this. And I hate that we have characters like Penny and Bonnie who literally volunteer to get God. No one even asked, bro. No one asked you to. Let these white people figure out their own drama. Let them handle it. They will figure it out. And I have with these magical token characters is that they're written in such a way that they literally have no sense of self-preservation whatsoever. I might die. It's worth it if I can save her. I already did die. Well, I would die again because that's the love of my life or that's my best friend. And it's like, who actually thinks that way? And when is that energy ever reciprocated? Listen, and it's like, and listen, I'm a hopeless, I'm very, I'm into that narrative. I just, I've never, it's, but I've only seen it very few times executed well. Like I've very few, very few. I can only think of like one or two times I've seen that, like I would die for you energy, like really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ironically, one of the ways that it was well done, well, not I would die for you, but I would sacrifice greatly for you, was also on TVD. When oh Kai, gosh. Yeah, when Kai puts that curse on Elena and is basically like, Elena will not get up from this sleep until Bonnie is dead. Like, Bonnie, you're never going to see your bestie ever again. And he gives Damon the option. He's like, you can kill Bonnie right now, actually, and go live your best life with Elena. And Damon still chooses to kill Kai and save Bonnie. Like, that was the one and only time on that show where her energy was reciprocated by one of her supposed friends. (laughs) Yeah, I see, I wouldn't even count that because it's only an instance. Like, I would say, uh, I would say, like, all that, like, the Buffy angel energy, I would say is good. And that's only because it's a series of actions. Yes, that's like, true. He sacrifices over and over and over and over. So when she does have that, so when Buffy does have that energy, like, in terms of, like, letting him feed, I'm like, I get it because he did, like, he did it. <laughs> like, he's done it over and over for her. Like, so why wouldn't she have that back for him? Like, it makes sense to me. It does. It does feel like a more reciprocal, uh, mutually, I don't know, symbiotic kind of a relationship. Um, and that's really, really difficult to find. Um, especially in the fantasy realm. There's always someone who's like the designated sacrificer. <laughs> right. And I, and yeah, I think what it is is that like, like I said, it's it's because it's a series of actions. He makes the he, like every time there's like a grand choice, he makes the choice in her best interest. I don't ever see on the magicians. I don't see like maybe I don't see Katie making choices that specifically center Penny, or like I don't see the group making choices that specifically center Penny for him to like have that energy for them. Like it doesn't happen. And like, and then also Penny's not developed enough as a character for it to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's the way that I would have found a new group of friends for me. (laughs) Like, meanwhile, like meanwhile, but meanwhile, like when Quentin and Alice, when it happens and Quentin sort of Quentin, goes nuts trying to get Alice back. Like that makes sense to me because Alice became a Niffin to save every to save him, 
essentially. So when Quentin is like on this journey and like almost kills himself, like trying to get Alice back into human form, that makes sense. Cause it's like, they have a romantic relationship. They've sort they've been developed enough that I'm like, okay, I guess like I can buy this, but like, I don't know why Penny's out here, like killing himself for these white people. Like I, I really don't. And I never will. I, I, I never will figure it out, figure it out. Um, but that's, but yeah, season two, what's your, what's your big grade for season two? I'm going to give it, uh, a solid good. I gave season one good minus. What about you? I'm giving it a good, I think there, there are enough things that happen that I find interesting. Um, I think the fact that they at least resolve this Reynard thing is, is like a, is a plus in the is a check mark in the plus column um that they uh there's like a whole i think that's well done um i think the the fillery stuff is a bit more tricky but there are parts of it that i find better um and yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's a good I'll, i'll give it a good I'll give it a good as well. Um, again, I don't expect perfection from series, but I do expect some level of consistency and, uh, I guess, relatability. I did yeah. not decisions that these characters of color made in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, well, like, yeah, off-rip, Margot and Penny are, like, the I would say are the weakest characters. And it's, I think one thing I do, and I don't, I don't want to end on this, so I'll say something after, but like, I do find it interesting though, how, um, and not find it interesting and like, I've never considered this, but just how it, I do, it's always interesting to see how systems of like oppression or like bias replicate themselves in this way. I do find it interesting that even though there are no black people on this show, the two darkest characters very much get treated like black characters on predominantly white shows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like kind of the reason why I'm not entirely upset that there are no black people on this show, because I know if there were black people on the show, they would be treated worse. <laughs> right (laughs) like i i find it yeah just it's it's very it's so white that like the darkest people um penny and Margot are are easily the worst written characters and are and are summarily treated a lot like token black characters on predominantly white shows it's also really fucked up that like they're never in scenes together or like never develop a relationship with each other that is weird that is weird. <laughs> it's so weird and fucked up considering they're both. I don't know Summer Bischel. Summer Bischel is um, uh, ethnically ambiguous to me. She could, but I did look her up and she is like, she's Latinx and Indian. She's Latinx and Asian. That's her. Mm-hmm. That's, and and honestly, like it's giving Indian. Like <laughs> that's very apparent. Um, Arjun Gupta. His name is Arjun Gupta. But, like, yeah, it's weird that the two, like, both Indian people who are, like, both Indian, like, visually and, like, clearly are, like, for whatever reason won't be in community with each other or, like, won't talk to each other or, like, didn't develop a a relationship with each other. It's weird. And it's not even, like, 
they just go to the same school, but they don't know each other. You have the same network of friends. Right. Like, why wouldn't you know each other? But she's out here trying to save this alcoholic, and he's out here trying to save these white women. (laughs) And I don't know where this comes from. I don't know if white writers think of, like, oh, it's lame if we put the two black people or, like, the two people of color together. But it's like, no, (laughs) that's a wrong instinct. Yeah, it's a wrong instinct. When it comes to Shirley and a Troy from a community, I understand it because there's a huge age gap there. But even they had some sort of uh, a semblance of camaraderie. Right? Because Shirley's a mom figure to Troy, right? Right. Like, there's a way to make it work. It doesn't have to be sexual. They don't have to be joined at the hip. But give us something. Like, it's, it's weird. Like, and I, and I guess it comes from, like, when white people do have like token friends and they try to like, I don't know if you've been in that situation, but I've been in that situation where like, I I know that I am like this white person's like only like friend, like black friend. And then they've newly made like another black friend. And they're like, Oh, why don't you so-and-so get together? Like not knowing us, like not knowing if we would even like each other, like literally off of nothing, but like we're both black. So I don't know if like that's where like white writers are like hesitant, where they're like, are we putting these characters together because they would genuinely be into each other? Or are we putting them together because they're just both the same racial group? And I would say the answer to that is to develop your fucking characters. Yes, and yes. I think there's also like a belief that when a person is in a token situation, like they don't have other friends of color and they don't want to have other friends of color. Which is also very... um, That's a white viewpoint. That's myopic, yeah. Yes, it's very myopic. It's very white. Um, These characters were... Well, not Margot. But Penny was set up to be greater than he was. Margot could have been set up to be greater than what she was. But alas, this is what we have. This is what we have. This is what we're working with. And it's, it's... And that's... And there you have it, folks. (laughs) This is everything that we think made the first half of The Magicians good, bad, basic, and spellbinding. If you'd like to check out the series, The Magicians is currently streaming on Netflix. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share with your friends. If you're a patron on our Patreon, be sure to check out our Magicians playlist. Tune in next week as we keep our off-to-college season going with a discussion on the back half of the Magical series. You don't want to miss out on this conversation. The Good, the Bad, the Basic is streaming on all major podcast platforms, so be sure to tune in to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at the Good Bad Basic on Twitter and at Good Bad Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our weekly episodes debut. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron over on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time. Bye, everyone.